Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. And the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? For who, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that there, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the hope-inspiring word of the Lord. C.S. Lewis, the author and apologist, once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, and shouts to us in our pain. I'd been in the pastor here for three months when Wednesday evening, January 30th, my wife had come home with a worried look on her face. And she said to me that when she was at ladies' Bible study that evening, Paul came in and told Brenda that she needed to come home right now. And she said he looked very serious and very broken. And then a few minutes later, I got a phone call from Dinah Wise, and she called me and suggested that I go and check up on Brenda because there were two sheriff's cars parked out front of her house, and so I went. And when I arrived, there were still two deputies in the home, and when I walked in and saw the look on their face, I knew that something was horribly wrong. And then when I saw Brenda, I hugged her, but I could see the shattered look on her face. But with tremendous grace and tremendous strength, she calmly but quietly said that her 23-year-old daughter, Jennifer, had been killed in a car accident that morning, a mother of a child of 15 months at the time. And I will never forget that moment as long as I live. That was seven years ago. And just the other day, I received a phone call asking me if I would be willing to talk to and counsel a couple, a couple that I had known who had lost just the other day a six-month-old baby through sudden infant death syndrome. These are events that happen in a world around us that simply do not make sense to us on any level. There are things that happen in this world that defy explanation. There are things that happen that will take us completely by surprise. There are things that will happen to us that have the power 
to take our snow globe perception about the world around us and how we see things and how we think the world works and take that and smash it on the floor of reality into a billion little pieces. Losing a child is one of those things that will blindside a person. It's one of those things we don't see coming. And it has the power to hit your entire body like a sledgehammer. It has the the power to render you breathless. It has the power to completely overwhelm every facet of your life where you cannot even imagine what normal will ever look like ever again. It's the same thing with the cancer diagnosis. It's the same thing with, with chronic disease. It's the same thing when you have a spouse that you have loved so much and invested so much in and depended on so for so long one day looking at you saying, I don't want to be here and walking out. It's the same when you get the news that you no longer have a job, especially when you've invested all your life and you don't know what else that you can do. It's the same when the entire world around you begins to shut down and the economy collapses in on itself and you can't even get a hug for comfort. That's the time that the world makes no sense. And it's this time that it might seem like or feel like that God has forgotten you, that God has forsaken you, especially when those overwhelming things get, those happened in, in rapid succession. I knew a woman who lost her mom And I knew a woman who lost her father two weeks later. And then the person that she loved is battling cancer. And she said to me that I feel like I'm drowning. It's at times like this I feel they can feel like God is a billion miles away and has no interest whatsoever in our lives. It's times like that that it can feel like God will never be near us. And then you realize that God is sovereign. Then you realize that he's in control, which means what has, what has been happening, God has allowed it to happen. That can even be more com- perplexing at times. And God, I thought you were compassionate. God, I thought that you were trustworthy. Why did you even allow something like this to happen to me? And then there are times when when we're hurting so deeply that we're being swept under the current by our devastating circumstances of our life that we ask, how can I trust God when so much has happened? How can I trust God when my entire world has been flipped upside down? How can I trust God when it doesn't make any sense at all? And that that is exactly what we have been talking about the last few weeks. We're talking about trusting God especially when things are hard, especially when nothing makes any sense. Especially when everything around us says that you cannot trust him. We're talking about trusting God even when in the moment there is no visible, tangible evidence that he cares about us. And I think that we, I think that there's an area in our lives that can bring us to our knees and shake us to our very core. It is one of those unexpected events that comes out of nowhere that crashes into your life and changes your entire world and everything with it in an instant. And even as a Christian, you know intellectually in your mind, you understand that you can trust God. You know it up here. You know that you can trust him because he's sovereign and in control. You know that you can trust him because he's trustworthy and he keeps his promises and he's compassionate, which means he loves you and he wants what's best for you. We know these things because the Bible, God's word, tells us these things, but there are going to be those times. There are going to be those circumstances. There are going to be those things that happen when we know what we know about God and what we believe to be true seems to get overwhelmed by how we feel about what's happening around us and what's happening to us. And like I said, that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, trusting in God in those times, trusting in God when the rest of the world and all of your life and all of your circumstances are saying, no, you can't trust him. Two weeks ago, we began by exploring trusting God 
to save us and keep us saved in spite of us and our failings. And then last week we explored how we trust God when we find ourselves in desperate need. This week we're going to talk about trusting God when the worst possible thing happens in your worst case scenario. Because there are those things that can happen and there are those things that do happen that are worst case scenarios. Like I said this week, a couple lost a six-month-old baby girl. I can't even imagine. Recently, a friend of ours and our, I mean, part of our church family, Kim Borg, had lost her father after losing her mother a few months before, which is hard enough. But she can't even have his memorial service because we can't even gather people enough to, to do that. Because of the prohibition against gatherings. I can't imagine the grief that she's feeling. One of our deacons in our church, the same thing. Lost his mom, but he can't even go see his family and hug their necks. Why? Because of what's going on. I know a couple that's been married for years, who both love Christ, who are in the middle of a divorce. There are people that we know that have lost their jobs during this time. I remember one time I received a phone call from someone who had a cousin in the army and he was soon to be married to his fiancée of 22 years. And she woke up in the middle of the night unable to breathe and after being rushed to the hospital, she was in a coma because of blood clots in her lungs. That's a worst case scenario. Your life looks like something one moment and then it's something completely different. And there are people on my prayer list right now who have been diagnosed with cancer, and one of them has been told, there's nothing we can do for you. It's incurable. Again, a worst-case scenario. And I can go on and on, but you understand. You know what I'm talking about. You have been in a place in your life before where everything's okay. And I'm not saying everything's great, but you know, you live your life somewhere between great and good. You know, It's okay. You know where everything is. You know where you stand. You know what's going on with your family. Things move along pretty predictably. You know what's in your bank account. You get a little bit of gas in your car. The high-speed internet still works. Right? You move along, and things are pretty normal. Right? You just kind of expect it. You kind of get used to it. And then out of nowhere, it happens. Your world completely changes, and nothing is ever the same again. And sometimes it's not just one event, but it comes in waves, wave after wave, one thing after the next. It just piles on top of the next thing, and it can feel like you can barely even come up for air. How do you actively hold on and trust in God during the worst case scenarios in your life? Well, the good news is the Bible has a lot to say about just that. Trusting in God in our worst case scenarios. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So again, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. And Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you to notice how Paul begins this discussion of suffering and difficulty it's not how I would have began. He says the pain and the difficulty and the hurt and the suffering that we experience at this present time are not worthy of even comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is he even talking about here? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the time when we finally escaped this broken life and we are in the very presence of our king. That's what he's talking about, being present with God. And ultimately, he's talking about the resurrection. When the new heavens and the new earth come together and we are resurrected in, and have new, resurrected, perfected bodies and we live physically in the presence of God forever, that is what he's, what he's talking about. Our blessed hope is the resurrection. Right? When God finally consummates all of his redemptive work. And Paul says the suffering that he experiences, the worst kind of suffering that we ourselves experience, is it worthy of comparing to that? It's not even close, he says. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, 
beginning in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for a weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that we that are seen, but are things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are tra- for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What that means for us and what that means for you is your pain, as deep as it is, actually can help you to understand the glory and the joy and the hope that one day you will experience. That it will be so overwhelming and all-consuming that your grief and your pain that you're experiencing now will seem by comparison a tiny, light, momentary affliction. And I know this might seem like a strange place to begin trying to encourage someone who's going through their worst-case scenario, but Paul says your pain and suffering right here and now is preparing you. It is making you ready for the weight of, of glory that nothing can be compared to. I want you to think about it this way, if I can give you a visual image. Imagine the deepest, most horrific kind of hurt and the darkest moment in your life that you have ever experienced it. And if you were then to build a skyscraper as a monument to that, that represents the size and the magnitude of your suffering and your grief, no matter how big that structure would be, no matter how big and large you could build it, What is awaiting you and what is awaiting those who trust in God will make that seem like a tiny, tiny little edifice by comparison. It's like standing next to the Empire State Building. It seems enormous. But then when you compare that to the scope and the size of just the Milky Way itself, you realize it's tiny in comparison. That is the idea that Paul is communicating to us. Now, I understand, right, knowing this and hoping for this does not change the fact that sometimes what we go through is horrific and gut-wrenching and unimaginably painful. Knowing any of this does not change that, but what Paul is saying is that no matter what your worst-case scenario is, you can trust God. And you can trust Him because He has promised and He has paid for, through the blood of Christ, a very real hope that one day that hope will completely overwhelm the grief that you face now. To the point that what you're going through will seem like nothing. It won't seem like that now, but it will seem like that. That is the hope that we have in Christ. That is the hope that anchors our soul. And please know, right? It is not like that Paul's just saying this. It's not like that Paul doesn't understand what real suffering is. I think Paul, if you could look up the word suffering in the dictionary, you might find his picture. He understands what worst case scenarios are. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he kind of explains some of the things that he's gone through. He says, beginning in verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, taken out into a field and people threw rocks at you until the point you are unconscious and they thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure, and apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, Paul knows deep pain and anguish. He knows your worst case scenarios. He knows what what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to lose people that he loves. He knows what it's like to be despised and to be hated and to be mocked. Paul even eventually knew what it was like to be martyred. Because he died for the faith. Paul had shed oceans of tears 
And he carried many painful burdens. And Paul knew all too well the worst that life has to offer. But he never lost hope. Why? Because he knew that the worst thing that could happen in the world, the worst things that could happen to any of us, are nothing, nothing compared to the glory that awaits those who trust in Christ. Which helps us then to understand the big question, what is my ultimate hope? Because that's the perspective that's going to help get you through the times of deep sorrow. That's the perspective that will carry you through your worst case scenarios. What is your ultimate hope? And the truth is, for those who trust in Christ, our ultimate hope is not a pain-free, problem-free life. That's not our hope. Our hope isn't that. We may want that. We may wish for that. We may even beg God for that. We might even pray tear-filled prayers for that. But that's not our ultimate hope. Our hope is not to live long enough to see our grandchildren grow up, though we want that. Our hope is not to stay married until we die, though we desire that. Our hope is not to, to, out, to have our loved ones outlive us, though we certainly would want that. Our hope is not to have enough money to live comfortably when we retire, though we work for that. Our hope is not for a life to get back to normal once this virus is going to run its course, though we all right now wish that. Our hope is not a pain-free, problem-free life. Our hope instead is to be rescued by Christ from this broken world and from the wrath of God. Because that's, what we're, that's where we live, in a broken world. A broken world filled full of broken people. And it's broken because of the effects of sin. When sin enters the world through creation, through Adam, who is our federal head, our representative, the entire world, all of creation was infected and inflicted by the effects of sin. And because of that, Mankind stands under the weight of the awful and terrible wrath of God that he has against the world. That's why Paul says, For the creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, the effects of sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, even creation itself awaits our hope. Our hope isn't to live a pain-free, problem-free life here and now, though we might think that it is. Our hope is to be set free by Christ from the futility and bondage of sin and corruption that we then could experience completion in Christ. Our hope is to be set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day, the presence of sin. Our hope is to live where brokenness and pain and sin no longer hold sway over our hearts, over our minds, over our bodies, over our mouths. Our hope is to, to be permanently free. And creation itself longs for just that. We live in a fallen, broken world filled full of fallen, sinful, and broken people. In a world where worst case scenarios can and do happen. In fact, brokenness and worst case scenarios are really what we should expect in this world. We should expect for things to go wrong, like technology. We should expect that the wheels will fall off the bus. We should expect that bad news will reach our ears at some point. We should expect the fact that somebody will hurt us. We should expect to lose loved ones. We should expect or at least be prepared for the worst case scenarios. I mean, we really should be wondering, why doesn't more bad stuff happen? Why, why doesn't more stuff go wrong than it, than it does right now? I mean, for the most part, we live in a country of relative comfort and safety. Even now, by the way, even now. 
We experience freedom from persecution. We have plenty of food to eat. Maybe not enough toilet paper, right? But certainly there's plenty of food to go around. We have abundant clean water so much so that people are picky about the water that they drink. There's multiple brands and tastes of water. We live in a, in a fluent culture. Even in this economic downturn, we're still affluent by all world standards. We have coolers and air conditioners in the summer, and we have heaters in the winter. And modern medicine helps people to live longer than ever before. And even now, there is so much technology and so many resources be, being committed to fight this virus that 50 years ago would have, would have been completely impossible. Not to mention many diseases that used to shorten lifespans have been eradicated and people with chronic diseases live longer and experience more comfort than ever before. Not to mention the infant mortality rate is lower now than at any point in human history, which means the number of people who are losing infant children is a fraction of what it used to be. The truth is we live in a fallen, broken world, but we live at a time where we experience a lot of good and we all have. We live in an era where we certainly experience pain, but we also experience great joy and lots of goodness. Even though the world is corrupted by sin and death, we still experience beauty. We still experience love and friendship and mercy and hope. And all of these things should help us to see, even in our pain, that we can trust God because... It is by God's grace. It is by his grace that we experience the joy and the goodness that this life has to offer. It is by his mercy, because it's not like we deserve it, because we don't. Mankind openly rebelled against God, calling down the wrath and judgment of God upon himself, but God did not immediately turn us over into the darkness that we deserved. Instead, he made provision for us. After Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, God could simply have left them in the wilderness to die naked and afraid, but he didn't. God sacrificed an animal to give covering for them, which is a symbol of two important things. First, it's a symbol that God will take care of us and provide for us and help us even through the worst of times. And secondly, it symbolized our future hope of when God would finally one day sacrifice his own son to provide for us a righteous covering that we need so we can stand before God unashamed. And so in summary, we can trust God to get us through because God, because our hope is to be rescued from this broken world. And God helps us to hold on to that hope by graciously giving us glimpses of that hope through the good and the joy. And he gives us in this life, even while we still live, grace upon grace as we live in this fallen, broken world. Paul continues on. In verse 22, and he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. The fact is the pain that we experience and even the suffering we endure as Christians points us to the fact that we eagerly await something else. We are eagerly awaiting for Christ to come back and set all things right. We eagerly long for a time that we will be resurrected and we will be glorified. We'll have glorified bodies when, when there is no more pain or sorrow or strife or anxiety or loss anymore. I want you to think about this. Never, ever again to lose a loved one. Can you imagine the comfort of that? Never to worry about cancer or Crohn's disease or lupus or arthritis, never worrying about another virus. Imagine the time when there's no more betrayal or letdown or a time when you're forgotten. We eagerly await for that time when we can be physically present with God and all things are right. Because that is our hope. 
not a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. Our hope is to be finally and to be permanently rescued by Christ from the the ravages and the effects of our sin. Our hope is the redemption of our souls, our bodies, and even creation itself. And then Paul says, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Your worst case scenario is a reminder that you are not there yet. Your suffering and your pain is a reminder that you have not fully realized your hope. And in the darkness of your misery, in the darkness of your grief, and in the darkness of your broken heart, though you may not see it, though you may not be able to touch it, there is still hope. That hope still is real. It still exists. Brenda, after... After Jenny passed away shortly after that, um, she had an atheist friend who asked her, who also lost a child, does it help that you're a Christian? And she said, yes. Yes, it helps. Because Jenny was a Christian. And that means I know where she is. In the middle of her greatest possible worst case scenario, in the middle of her overwhelming pain, even though she couldn't see Jenny, even though she couldn't peek into heaven to look at her, even though that she couldn't see the things that she was hoping for, she believed and trusted in that hope. Because she is trusting in the promise that God made. She took God at his word when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. She believes the promise that in my father's house there are many rooms and that Christ will come back to take those home that he promised it to. She believed that there, that Jesus, she took took Jesus at his word. She believed the promise that those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. She believes in the promise that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. She believes that God is sovereign enough and trustworthy enough and loving enough to make good on the promises that he has made. Our hope is not in what we can see. And then Paul continues and he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, groaning, intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is such an important text for hope, but this is a text that many people want to over-spiritualize and make into something that it's not. In fact, some people will say that this is a text about about talking in unintelligible tongues, but this is not at all the point of this text. The context bears that it's something else. This text is a promise from God. It is a promise that God will be with you in the most intimate possible sense. It's a promise that God, the Holy Spirit, will intercede for you. It is a promise that when you are so brokenhearted and you are so hurt and so lost in grief that you can't even pray intelligible words on your own, that the Holy Spirit is so intimate with you that he understands even your wordless groanings. He understands. I want you to think about that. God is so close to you that he feels your feelings. He feels your thoughts. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, pleading your case to God, pouring out your emotions and your heart. God hears and understands your deepest emotions, even the ones you cannot put into words. That's what this text is about. And understand, God is moved by your pain. He is moved by your grief. One of the most important verses in my life is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It's John chapter 11, verse 35, and it's two simple words. It says, Jesus wept. And the Greek word for wept actually means to hyperventilate. It's not just like just silently crying tears. 
This is full-on sobbing is what, what it's saying here. That means Jesus sobbed and big fat tears ran down his cheek and he cried out loud and his body shook. Why? Because of the grief of his friends the grief that they were experiencing over the death of their brother Lazarus. Now understand, Jesus was about to bring them joy. He had come to restore him back to life. He knew what he was going to do, but yet he still felt their grief. He was still broken hearted for their broken hearts. He was moved by their pain. God is moved by your broken heart. God feels and fully understands your pain. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. God, the Holy Spirit, is ever present within you, communing with the Father what you feel and what you need, even when you are so brokenhearted, you can't even pray. And then Paul gives us, right after that promise, The verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I think the New American Standard Bible actually renders this better. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. This right here is the promise that I have anchored my own life to. This is the promise that helped me get through so many difficult things in my life. In fact, the the theologian John Stott once wrote on this verse, Believers of every age and place have stayed their minds. It has been likened to a pillow on which to rest our weary heads because it is a promise from God that he will work all things out. For our good, even even now. And in this promise, we find all the reasons we need to trust in him. It says, God works all things out. You see, this promise is built on the fact that God is sovereign and in control. The foundation of this promise is God's sovereignty. God has the power over all things, both good and bad, both joyful and painful. If he wasn't, we couldn't trust it. The reason why that promise holds firm is because it's anchored in who God is, and he is sovereign. God is all-powerful, and he can do what he wants to do, and he can take your absolute worst-case scenario in your life and work it out in a way that you could not even possibly imagine. You can trust God because he's in control, And he does, and he can take all things and work them out. But I also want you to notice how Paul opens up this verse. He says the words. He says, and we know. We know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. I want you to notice Paul doesn't say we think. We suspect. He doesn't even think say we uh, we wish. He says we know. We know it for a fact. The Greek word that Paul uses here for the word for 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 that expression to know is ido. Right? And this word means knowing and comprehending and perceiving, but it's rooted in the idea of sight. It's like I know something because I've seen it. I know something because I've experienced something. One of the definitions say that Ido is a gateway to grasp spiritual truth from a physical plane. Or in other words, what Paul says, what Paul is saying here is we know that God works all things out because we have seen it. We've witnessed it. We have experienced it. We've had our bad situations. We've experienced the worst kinds of circumstances. And we have seen God miraculously work those things out for our good. We've seen God do amazing things even when the worst possible thing happens. That is the idea. And if you are a Christian for any length of time, you have experienced that in your own life. What Paul is saying is we know God is trustworthy because we have seen it. We know God is is working things out because we have seen him do it is the essence of the I know there. I know it because I've seen it. The loss for 
for, for Jenny, for Brenda, nearly tore her apart. And it certainly has had huge implications for her life that still resonate today. But she turned and trusted in God. And the verse that I shared with her over and over and over again was this one. And over the years, I've seen God do exactly just that. I've witnessed God transform Brenda into a strong, vibrant woman of faith as she has learned to lean on God to carry her through. And I've witnessed God use Brenda and pour into the lives of many people who have gone through some of the worst possible things. And I have witnessed her raise up a grandchild into a vibrant, healthy, young, young boy who loves Christ. And I know that I've seen strength in her. I see a strength and a glow and a hope in her that was not there to this degree before Jenny died. God has used this tragedy and worked it out for good and continued to do so. Now, please understand, without question, Brenda would want Jenny back this very moment. If it were possible, she would want her back. But it's not possible. And the important thing that we, to know is that God didn't leave her. God didn't forsake her. God was with her every step of the way, working these things out, even the gut-wrenching things of her life, and turned them in for good, for her and other people. Finally, I want you to notice that not only God works things, all things out, but he does so for our good. This is an important thing to keep in perspective. You can trust God because he's compassionate. He wants what is good for you. He is a good God. It's his very nature, and he wants what's good for you. And he works all things, even the horrific things, out for your good. Now, I know that in the middle of your pain... And in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your worst case scenarios, even when your emotions and feelings threaten to push you down, you still may ask, well, if God is sovereign and trustworthy and compassionate, then why doesn't he just simply get rid of this pain? Why doesn't he get rid of my worst case scenario? In fact, why doesn't he just prevent it from happening? He could do that. And I would say that's a good question. I say that's a fair question to ask. Why does God allow these things to happen? And the truth is, on this side of heaven, we might not ever know the answer. Because the fact is this, you are not God, and neither am I. We do not have his perspective. We do not see the things that he sees. We can't know what he knows. All we can know is God has promised to work all things out for our good, for those who love him. And what we know is this. God did not simply put an end to suffering in worst case scenarios. Instead, God didn't allow us to simply suffer alone. He entered into our suffering That is what the incarnation is. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, all the while experiencing your hurt and your loss. And then for nothing that he did on his own, he was beaten to a pulp. And he was nailed to a cross and he hung in agony for hours, suffocating to death. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for sins that weren't even his own. He died for your sin. He died for your brokenness. He died so that you can have hope. And one day you will be set free from sin and pain and loss and strife and worst case scenarios. He died and suffered so that you could be reconciled back to God and love him And be called according to his purpose so that he could work all things out for your good. Jesus entered into suffering for your good. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead proving that your hope is certain. There will be a resurrection. It is proof that sin and death and worst case scenarios have been conquered permanently. And the day is coming 
where there will be no more disease and there will be no more fighting or no more being left behind or being forgotten or losing anyone or anything. And the resurrection proves that it's not a dream, that it is absolutely real. And you can trust God to get you through this and all other things that this broken world has to offer you. Now, let's just take a quick moment and get practical here then. Because I'm going to leave you with four things to help you live and trust in God when the worst happens. Paul says in verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? The thing that we need to remember is not only is God with you, but he is for you. God is for you. If you love God, if you've placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, then God of the universe is for you. God is on your side. He is your advocate. He is your protector. He is for you. Then Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You need to take this truth and drive it deep into your heart. God gave up his son for you. If he did that, how will he not also take care of you? If he did that, then how will he not also do what's good for you and work all things out for your good? How will he not see you through the worst parts of your life if he didn't spare his own son? He continues and says in verse 33, Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is it to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who shall separate us from the love of God, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it's written for your sake. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through whom he loves us. In Christ Jesus, you are a conqueror. In Christ Jesus, you're an overcomer. There isn't anything in this life that can come against you. There isn't anything that life can throw at you that you cannot overcome if you are in Christ trusting in God. That is a simple truth. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he was absolutely talking about worst case scenarios when he said that. And then finally, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church family, hear me on this. If you're at home right now, you need to hear me on this. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not your worst pain, not your darkest nightmare, nothing. Not self-quarantining, no virus, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's another truth that you need to have etched into your heart, in the very fabric of who you are. If you belong to Christ, nothing can separate you from him. Along with the truth that you can be sure That if you love God, he will work all things out for your good. Which means we can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Now, as we wrap up, one last thing that we need to talk about is you need to understand who this promise is for. The promise is for those who love God. It is for those who are in Christ. Which means if you have not put your trust in Christ then this promise isn't for you. It's not a promise that belongs to you. It doesn't. If you have not repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith and made him the Lord and Savior of your life by believing the gospel, God does not work all things out for your good because you don't love him. The promise is for those who have been justified by faith in Christ and them alone. 
Now, the good news is you can be one of them because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can repent and believe the gospel and take God at his promise. And if you're ready to have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're ready to repent of your sins, if you're ready to have this promise of salvation and the promise for God to work all things for your good and to be with you and for you, then I would ask today that you would reach out to us here at First Baptist Church. You can call us on the phone. You can send us an email. Or you can message me personally. And I would love to talk with you about how you can have a relationship today with the risen King Jesus Christ. And for those of you who do know, who know Christ, who may be going through a season of, of life right now where things don't make sense today, if that is happening to you today and you're struggling to hold on to the faith that you have, then, then please reach out to one of us. Again, you can call us at the church, you can email us, you can reach out to me through Facebook Messenger or one of our deacons and we will have someone, one of our ministry leaders, reach out to you and, and connect with you and pray with you and love on you and remind you of the goodness of God. And if you happen to be someone who believes and you're not going through that season, then pray for those who are and reach out to your neighbor and love them and share with them the hope that comes in Christ. But in all this, you can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so gracious and so good to us. And I thank you for the hope that is in your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I pray, Lord God, that you would just etch this into our hearts, that in this season of darkness, that we would lean on this promise, that we would hold fast to this hope that was secured by the blood of Christ, that we, Lord God, would take you at your word and trust that you, Lord, for those who love you, those who are called according to your purpose, that, Lord, you will work all things for our good. That is what we're hoping in. That's what we're trusting in because our hope is attached to you, because you're sovereign, you are trustworthy, and you are compassionate. Father, we give you all the praise and the glory, and we pray, Father, for those who are affected by this virus, Lord, that you would heal them. We pray for the frontline workers, the medical workers, that you'd protect them. We pray for those who are essential workers, that you'd protect them as well, Lord. That, Father, you would protect those who have lost work and who have lost jobs and provide for them. That, Father, also that in this time your church would rise up and show how faithful we are because of you. We give you the praise, honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are loved. You were prayed for. You were missed deeply. And you're dismissed. We'll see you and talk to you this week. Grace and peace. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.